stepped on Deerfoot, and, and it seems as though that of, uh, of ice has, has taken where to go. Well, a few weeks ago, my, my youngest daughter, Elizabeth, she was uh, playing in our backyard, and uh, we were kind of in that scenario in our, in, in our neighborhood in, our, in Calgary, where the, uh, the snow had, had melted, it had, the ice had, had been accumulating on our deck, uh, it had been accumulating on our sidewalk, but there was not really any snow to speak of on our, on our grass. And so uh, this particular Wednesday, uh, Ellie was out playing in the backyard with our dog, and, and I remembered, oh, it's garbage day today, uh, on tomorrow. So I called Elizabeth in, and I said, Ellie, can you just come up onto the deck, and I have a bag of garbage, I just need you to take it out to the, to the garbage can. And so she said, yeah, of course, I can do that. And, and, uh, and so she came up to the steps, and, and what I didn't realize is that in the, in the midst of, of her playing, that she had just grabbed the most convenient shoes that she could find. Now, she didn't grab winter boots like you might expect. She grabbed what was nearest to her, and she found a nice pair of dress shoes that are nice and flat and slick. Now, you know where this is going already, I'm sure. But uh, I, So I handed her the, the garbage bag and said, Ellie, can you take this to the garbage? Yeah, Dad, of course I can do that. She's so accommodating and willing. And, and uh, the first step she took off of the, off, we only have, it's very similar to this actually, our deck, very, sim- very big landing, two steps to, this, to, the, to the yard. First step she took, down, whew, on her backside, wham! And then, of course, as if to make that matters worse, the next, she slid off of that step and again on the sidewalk, or onto the next step, and then again onto the ground. Of course, she did not enjoy that experience, as you would imagine, and she came running inside and crying and quite upset. Needless to say, my daughter Elizabeth discovered three very fundamental truths that I think are important for us to remember during this time. One, gravity is a very real thing. Two, Ice is very slippery. And three, that what you wear on your feet is important. Now, over the next three weeks or so, we will be discovering the importance of wearing the right footwear in our lives for the right circumstances. The Apostle Paul, he writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 15, he writes these words, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that, you can take, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand... Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words, that it gives us this beautiful instruction of how to live our lives in the midst of of warfare, in the midst of, of everything going on around us. Would my words this morning be yours? That anything that is of me, that it would just fall away. And that your spirit would move. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, since September, we have been exploring this idea of the armor of God. That's what Paul is talking about here in this passage from Ephesians 6. 
And on, in, from, in early September, in the month of September, we talked about the belt of truth as we considered Jesus as the source of our worship. And then in October, November, we talked about the, the breastplate of righteousness from the life of Job, and we, we discovered how Job uh, sought to live his life in a way that's pleasing to God in spite of significant suffering. Well, over the next three Sundays, and running, even running into Christmas Eve as well, we are going to be walking through some of the historical events from the book of Daniel. Now, the book of Daniel is one of five of the major prophet books. When we see in, where we see in Daniel, he has devoted the entirety of his life prophesying the reality of God's kingdom at work in the world. Now, the book of Daniel really can be divided into two sections. The first six chapters are really kind of talking about the historical aspects of, of Daniel's life. The last six are really spending a lot of his time, the bulk of his communication is talking about the prophetic, apocalyptic, end times prophecies that, that, he's, that God revealed to him. Now, we are going to maybe dip our toes a little bit into that water, but not, we're going to spend most of our time uh, talking about the things that did happen rather than the things that will happen. The book, of Bab- the, the book of Daniel, though, starts by revealing to us that the Babylonian Empire has invaded the southern kingdom of Judah. They have essentially taken it over. They have, they have conquered that kingdom. They've, they've destroyed Jerusalem. They've destroyed the temple. And over three separate occasions, they begin to, to remove the people of Judah and take them into Babylon. This is known as the Babylonian exile. It lasts for about 70 years. Now, the first recorded events that we begin to see in Daniel, though, after, after the, the, the people of Judah have been trans, transported to Babylon, is a series of strategies that the Babylonian Empire have taken to begin to assimilate these Jews into the Babylonian culture. The first step they do is they begin to acknowledge and identify who are the leaders amongst the Jews, and they recognize, okay, so there's, there's a group of men over here. These are, the, these are the people of influence. And so they begin to set these people aside and say, okay, we want, we want these people to, to be part of our indoctrination process. So we're going to teach them. We're going to educate them about our ways as Babylonians. We're going to teach them our language. We're going to feed them our foods. We're going to make it as, as easy as possible for them to... to for, the, for this, these leaders to begin to communicate to the rest of the people just how great we are as Babylonian, as their new Babylonian rulers. Now, to take it a step farther, though, our four main characters from the book of Daniel, their Hebrew names are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The next thing they do, the, the Babylonians do, is they, begin, they just strip away their names and say, those aren't your names anymore. They take away, they have actually now taken away their very identity, and they're given new names. Daniel is named Belshazzar. The three friends are known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And each of these names, though, are a reflection of the pagan idolatry within Babylon. Belshazzar. It literally means Bel's prince. Bel was one of the heathen gods in Babylon. Shadrach, it means the command of Aku. Aku was a sun or a moon god in Babylon. Meshach means who is comparable to Shaq. I don't think they're talking about the basketball player, but they're talking about, I think what they're talking about is the, the goddess Venus. And then Abednego means the servant of the shining fire. 
Again, a reference to a fire god. And so everything that we see here happening in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, is the Babylonians' attempt to strip down the identity of these Jews. They are attempting to take this, this collective of people, this collection of Jews, and now plopping on top of them this Babylonian identity and saying, this is who you are now. If we are looking for a modern day of reference today, it will be eerily, eerily similar to the Canadian government's attempt to, to assimilate indigenous people through residential schools in the 18 and 1900s. Now, if peace was something that that these, these Jews were supposed, these God's people were supposed to live out, surely in the midst of all of this turmoil and uncertainty, it would be impossible. These four men, though, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, I believe become this beacon of peace that I think God gives us in the midst of turmoil and uncertainty. He begin, they begin to, to provide this model for us on how to live our lives in the midst of all the craziness that happens in, in our lives. For us, in the midst of pandemics and restrictions and economic hardships. For them, in the midst of religious and cultural oppression. These four guys take, you, take us on a journey through how we can strap on the shoes of peace when we walk through situations that could easily take us out, just like the ice took out my daughter Elizabeth. Because the amazing thing about footwear is when you're wearing the right shoes for the right situation, it helps us to move through it. It helps us to advance. For example, I wouldn't wear these to go play football. It's just not the right footwear. It's not right. Nor would my nor would my wife, she wouldn't wear these to a wedding. It, again, she, she would stand out. It wouldn't be appropriate. It wouldn't make sense. What we see from these four men is that they were wearing the right footwear for the situation, for the right situation that they were in. And what we discover in Daniel chapter 1 and 2 is that God was about to do something big. And it starts with a dream. And most of us, I think, have probably woken up and, 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 you, and you can recall that, you know, I feel like I had a dream. I can't really remember. It's, you can kind of get shadows of the dream, but you just can't remember anything about it. And you, you try kind of, kind of to recall what you dreamt about, but not, just nothing's happening. And yet there's other times where you have the dream and it just seems so vivid. It's just like you just watched it on TV or you just experienced it. And, and then as you're retelling this, this really bizarre dream, you suddenly, oh, I remember this piece as well. And you, can, you kind of piece it together, these different dreams and stuff, and maybe it's just me. But I think that many of us have experienced that. But I think what's happening in Daniel chapter 2 with, the king of, with King Nebuchadnezzar is probably a little bit of both. Where in some translations, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he says he, can't, he couldn't remember his dream, but he knew that, that it was important. He felt like there was something that God was, was trying to communicate to him, but he didn't know what it was. That, that the gods in Babylon, the, the gods were, were speaking to, to Nebuchadnezzar, and he just didn't know what, what it was all about. So the king just, I, I just, I really, even though he was a god, godless paganistic man. There's some wisdom in terms of his approach here. 
So the king calls his wisest counsel. He calls his pagan sorcerers. He calls his conjurers. He calls anyone who is, has any sort of connection, any wise, um, wisely godly connection. He call, invites his priests. And instead of saying, okay, guys, listen to the dream, he does this instead. He says, since you guys are all connected to God, or so you claim, I believe that the message that I have was from God. I would like you then to tell me what the dream was. And not only that, but I actually now want you to tell me the interpretation of the dream as well. Can you imagine going to somebody and saying, Jason, would you tell me what I dreamt last night? Yeah. Uh, No. (laughs) Now, to, to, to incentivize these particular wise men, these godly men, he says, if you can't tell me what I dreamt, if you, can't, if you can't interpret it for me, I'm actually going to tear your limbs from your body, going to destroy your household, and destroy everything you own. That's incentive. Now, the Babylonians, they didn't really do things in a, you know, a subtle way. The, the, the kind of torture that the King Nebuchadnezzar was communicating here was, was that not just that they were going to tear their limbs from their body, but what they did is they would, they would get four trees in a kind of like a square. And they would take the top of the tree and they would fold it down so that the peak of the tree was touching the ground and they would, they would, they would stake it down. They would then take the prisoner and they would attach their limbs to each of the four trees that were bent down. Then at the king's word, they would, he would say, okay, cut. And they take the tree branch, would swing back to the top. And that's how they would remove the limbs from the body. Boy, barbaric, awful. That's what was awaiting these these godly men and women. So, and of course, the none of these people, because it's all idol worship, none of these people could be, were able to recall what the dream was. And so, because Daniel and his friends were classified as these wise men, they immediately had a death sentence as well. Even though they weren't a part of that particular group of people, they were immediately classified as as wise men, and therefore they had the death sentence as well. Now, over the course of Daniel's time in Babylon, he had earned some favor with the government officials and said, hey, listen, I haven't had a chance to interpret the dream. I haven't had a chance to... to, to, God hasn't had, I haven't had a chance to ask God what, his, what he thinks of the, of, of the dream. And so they, the government official says, okay, we'll give you three days. And so, he, so, the, the, so Daniel then says, okay, you know what? I, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to get together. And I recognize this is a, now a life situation right now, very similar to what my daughter Elizabeth was in. I could easily wipe out on this. This is a, now a life or death situation. And this is what he says, and this is what it says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 17 to 19. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God, compassion from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his friends would not be killed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And I think in these three verses that that we get a glimpse into how you and I can strap on the shoes of peace as we are walking through slippery situations in our lives. One, we stick together. Two, we pray. And three, 
we give thanks. See, these four men recognized that if they were going to walk through this slippery section of life, that they better be prepared, that they better strap on the right footwear, and they better do it together. See, when Paul is talking about the, about the shoes of peace in Ephesians 6, he's using the, uh, the Roman soldiers that were guarding him while he's in jail, he's using these prisoners as kind of his template for this metaphor. He's looking at these, these soldiers and saying, okay, I see what they're wearing. There's something about this that, that is, is rich and important that I need to communicate to the, to the Christian church. And so Paul looks at the, the sandals of these Roman soldiers and he says, these, he recognizes these, these sandals aren't just designed for, for, for comfort, but they're designed for mobility, and they're designed for protection. But one of the distinct features that, that you wouldn't necessarily be able to identify with these Roman shoes is what's underneath. Nails. See, in a Roman sh- soldier's shoes... There was these hobnails in their shoes that they nailed through the shoes so that it acted very similar to what an offensive lineman's cleats would, would look like, but much deeper. And so then, so then when, when, it, when an attack came, when there was resistance that came, they were able to dig their feet into the ground and they were able to find leverage and strength, not necessarily from their own legs and their own core, but also from the foundation that they were standing on. I have no idea where my notes are anymore. If you have ever walked on slippery ice, though, and, you don't, and you're not wearing the right footwear, you know that the next best thing is to walk with somebody who is. Where you're able to find security, you're able to find strength just by, just by being present, just holding the, the shoulder or the hand of somebody else as you walk through the slippery stuff of life. And we see from Daniel that the first thing he did when he was in a potentially unpeaceful situation was to invite his friends into that situation too. Rather than walking through the ice and just kind of slipping around, stumbling around, just hoping to get through it by himself, David invited his friends into it and asked for their help. I think sometimes... When you and I are walking through slippery situations, when it's difficult, when it seems uncertain, there's a reluctance sometimes for us. Maybe it's this proud bravado, you know, I can just do it by myself. I don't need anyone else's help. Or maybe there's fear of judgment. If I ask for help, they're going to think that I'm incapable. But I think what we discover here as we use the Roman soldiers as, as, as our analogy is that one of the things that made the Roman army so strong was their strength in unity, their strength of togetherness, where they would stand side by side each other in the midst of the battle. They would depend on the strength of each other. If someone happened to lose their footing, the strength of the collective, the strength of everyone else would actually hold them up until they were, until they were strengthened, until they were able to regain their footing. Their strength was from each other. Their balance was from each other. Sometimes you and I, sometimes we experience peace from the assurance from each other, just being together with people that we know are moving in the same direction as us. Because then we know that we aren't walking through things alone. 
that there's actually other people around us, around us who are walking beside us, holding us up, even when the ground feels like it's just unstable and slippery and just chaotic, we know that we can, there's other people who are with us. When things are uncertain, that's the time to be together. That's the time to look out for, other, for each other. That's the time to be strengthened by one another. Even in the face of death, Daniel and his friends were able to find stability and strength from each other so that they weren't slipping around because of the situation that they were in. Instead, instead they strapped on peace and they found it because they knew that they weren't alone as they walked through the slippery situations together. Second thing we see from Daniel on how to strap on peace is in the act of prayer. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We know that when we pray, something happens. It shifts something inside of our souls where we place ourselves under the authority of God and recognize that there's something much larger that is ruling our thoughts and our actions, that God is still at work. When we pray, we are rooting ourselves in God's spirit first so that we can walk through the slippery patches of life. As the Spirit of God is rooted inside of us through prayer, it actually produces peace. You know, if you've ever held a a newborn infant, there's something so peaceful about a newborn as they sleep in the comfort and absolute trust in whoever is holding them, right? Prayer is our way of letting our loving Father hold on to us. Reminding ourselves that there's a love that transcends anything that we can understand. And I recognize there's many of us who who maybe didn't have a positive fatherly experience. But this love that I'm talking about here as we pray, as we discover that type of love from God, transcends anything that any of us will ever experience on earth. It's the kind of love that reminds us that in spite of all the craziness that that will happen in our lives, all the craziness that describes 2020, That God is still in control. That his love has not shifted one way or the other. That his spirit is still as active today as it was in 600 BC in the story of Daniel. And it's it's in the prayer of these four men that they were reminded that it's God who is in control. In Nebuchadnezzar, he may have power, he may have influence over Babylon... But it's in their prayer that they're reminded who was really in control. Because within a few days of praying, God began to speak. God began to move. God began to reveal the king's dream to Daniel. Then not only that, but began to reveal the interpretation of what this dream actually meant as well. Chapter 2, verse 31 to 33, as Daniel is now recounting this to King Nebuchadnezzar. It says, you, O king, were watching, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary radiance, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of gold, of fine gold, 
its chest and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. It's in this dream that Daniel begins to communicate and tell the king that God has spoken to him about four, has spoken to Nebuchadnezzar about four kingdoms, including the one that he, he, he is authority over, Babylon. But eventually another kingdom will come. And we know now today because of history that it was Persia. They were represented by silver. And then after that, the Greeks are going to come along. They're represented by the bronze. And then after that, the kingdom represented by iron is Rome. And it's in this dream that we begin to see that God has been revealing to King Nebuchadnezzar and through Daniel that, that God has, God's plan for the next thousand years is being proclaimed. And that's out of that, I think, we see this, this internal strength that comes from Daniel, where he begins to see that, that regardless of what happens in this moment, regardless of what God is doing in, in, with, amongst his people, that God is still going to be active today, and he's going to be an active He's going to be active in a thousand years from now as well. So how does a foreigner, how does a supposed lesser citizen from Judah gain the ear of this Babylonian king? How does this Jew have the gall to tell this king, that eventually the kingdom, the kingdom that you rule is going to fall. And that by the sounds of it, that the kingdom that is going to destroy yours is actually going to be destroyed by another kingdom. And then that one's going to be destroyed by another kingdom. How does someone walk into that sort of slippery situation and not fall on his face in that moment? How does he not collapse under the pressure of just telling the king what he wants to hear just so that he can save his own neck? I think we get a glimpse into the answer based on the last part of the dream in verses 34 and 35. It says, you continued watching. He's watching the the statue. You continued watching until, until a stone was broken off without hands. And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed to pieces all at the same time. And they were like chaff from the summer threshing floors, dust. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the entire earth. That stone, we celebrate at Christmas. That stone is Jesus. It's in this last section that Daniel reveals to the king that there is a kingdom far greater than any other kingdom on earth. That even though the Babylonians conquered and plundered Judah, even though the temple was destroyed, even though that God's city, Jerusalem, had been completely obliterated, that the God of Judah was still in control. Even when things were difficult, even when things were tough, God was still in control. Even when the ground seemed slippery, even when things seemed unstable and uncertain, God was still in control. And it's in this dream 
that I think Daniel found a tremendous amount of peace from it, where he could know that in spite of hardships and difficulties, that God's people would endure. We can see the, the godlessness and paganistic practices, and we can see the outright rejection, re- rejection and defiance towards God. Yet God allowed it for a season. And what, God, what Daniel discovered is that in spite of all of that, that God is still in control. That applies to 2020. God is still in control. Where we might encounter seasons, though, where things seem anything but peaceful. We see these three men, or these four men, they stuck together, they prayed together, and they were thankful. What are you thankful for today? The last thing we see from Daniel in verse 19 is that after God revealed the dream and the interpretation, it says that Daniel blessed the God of heaven. The verse I read from Philippians 4, 6, and 7, give thanks, be thankful. I've often heard thankfulness described as an acorn, where an acorn seems mostly small and insignificant. Yet inside this acorn, it has everything it needs to become big and tall and a mighty oak tree. Everything that is not in that moment, but it will become. All it needs is the right environment for it to grow. When you and I align ourselves with Jesus, when we have the Spirit of God alive and at work in us, we have everything that we need. You and I just need to create the right environment inside of us for the Spirit to work. Gratitude. Thankfulness. Praising God helps to create the environment we need for the Spirit to do what He needs to do. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to. What are you thankful for? Just yell it out. What are you thankful for? Health. Family. Church. Hope in Christ. Heaven. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Anything else? Peace. Peace. Sorry? Music, thank you. It's hard to hear at the Mass sometimes. Yeah. Gratitude. Thankfulness. We're praising God helps to create the environment we need for the Spirit to do what He needs to do. Admittedly, if I'm so busy pointing fingers at other people the way that I think they should live their lives if I'm too busy judging other people's decisions, if I'm too quick to criticize my family and friends and leaders, then I'm missing out on what the Spirit wants to do in me. Instead, instead we choose to thank God that He has already given us exactly what we need to walk through the slippery situations of life. 
God has already given each of us a bright new pair of ultra-traction footwear to walk through the slippery situations of life. You and I just need to put them on. When we stick together, when we pray, when we give thanks to God, we actually strap on those shoes of peace and we begin to discover the fullness of God's strength and out of that comes a peace that strengthens you and I as we walk through the slippery situations of life. I know many of us are likely struggling with this idea of being grateful, where thankfulness isn't, isn't necessarily on the tip of our tongues. It doesn't take a, it's only a matter of seconds before a conversation shifts towards pandemic, economy, politics, and peace seems like it's the last thing that we, that, that's on the tip of our tongues. It's the last thing that we really want to talk about. Admittedly, there is a heaviness that I think many of us are feeling these days, where our world seems to be mourning and grieving a sense of normalcy of what once was, where questions about whether the government has overstepped their democratic authority, or whether it's a question of when I get COVID-19, not if, where churches are feeling the tension of polarized opinions about all of these subjects. Families are, are, being, are fighting with each other. And yet one of the refrains that we will hear over and over and over again this month is peace on earth. That's the last word that I would use to describe this year. Peace? It feels like chaos and hurting and confusion and uncertainty and fear. It feels like 2020 was the patch of ice that my, my daughter slipped on and now we're all just flying garbages everywhere and we're just rubbing our, rubbing our sore spots now. What if, though? What if there was another way to respond to everything going on around us? What if instead of reacting with skepticism and criticism and fear, what if instead this morning, that you and I walked out these doors and we chose to put on the footwear of peace instead? What if you and I put on the shoes we need for such a time as this? What if you and I, what if we as the church stuck together? What if as the church, we began to pray more individually together? What if you and I gave thanks inwardly and outwardly? I think we would discover that in the same way that God was in control in 600 BC, as, these, as we read these words in Daniel, that God is still in control in 2020. Where we as the church could stand tall like Daniel and root ourselves in peace because our footwear is keeping us secure, that we won't be shaken. Instead, as God's people, we will be strengthened instead. What if we were strengthened and found peace like Daniel did, knowing that in spite of all the uncertainty happening around us, that God was still in control of all of it? See, Daniel, he was able to look beyond the narrative of history. He was able to look beyond what was happening in that moment and recognize that there was a much larger narrative that's now being unfolded, that's now being revealed to him. 
Daniel found peace in the fact that although the view from the ground level seems scary, although the view from the ground level seems slippery and uncertain, that from the 30,000-foot view, that Daniel could begin to identify and recognize that God was still at work around him, even long after he was dead and gone. And that that moment in history that he was a part of was going to just be a blip on the radar of humanity. Because God still has so much more to do. What if that was the case for us in 2020? That 2020 was this blip on the radar because God still has so much more to do in us, through us, as his church. And it was in that peace that Daniel discovered a resiliency in his circumstances because God was in it. Let me say that again. Daniel discovered a resiliency to his circumstances because God was in it. We as the church are not fragile. We as the church have resiliency. We have strength because the Spirit of God is here. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. This morning as, as we are receiving communion, by the way, if you haven't grabbed your communion cup, they are in the foyer. I uh, apologize, I was going to mention that earlier in the service, but um, you can go sneak out now if you want to grab one. Also, I just want to point out that with the communion cups, there's, the top, there's a thin little plastic layer that you may need just to fight with a little bit to peel off, the, to relieve, release the, uh, the little wafer. Um, but uh, this morning as we are receiving communion, we are, re- we are receiving it as a reminder of the truth Jesus speaks to us in John chapter 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Jesus, as Christmas, Jesus joined us on earth. Emmanuel, Christ, God with us. He came alongside each one of us to walk with us, to strengthen us when we might lose our step. It's in his death and resurrection that Jesus gives us his peace. It's in the act of communion that we symbolize our strapping on the shoes of peace. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 reminds us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. This morning, let us receive the eternal peace that only Jesus can give. Take and eat. After Jesus took the bread and shared it with his disciples, poured out wine for each of them, and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. We're going to sing one last song here as we continue to to worship together.